Welcome back to the Wrong Advice Podcast. I'm your host, John Picciuto, and I'm very excited to have my new friend, Frank Carlisi, on the line with us today. Frank, how you doing, buddy? Nice to see you, my friend. How are you today? I'm doing pretty well. It's Wednesday. The sun's out. It's uh, like 26 degrees, so it's not zero. Freezing. So everything's <laughs> everything's looking up. Close enough. <laughs> yeah, close enough. Can you uh, introduce yourself to the listeners? I sure can. Um, my name's Frank Carlisi. I... First and foremost, I'm thrilled to be here. I am the co-owner of the EXV Agency, our event producers and business development specialists. And I also run a non-for-profit called Women Building Women, which uh, focuses on uh, helping women in underserved communities through career development and advancement. Yeah. That's awesome. How did you, so first things first, how did you get into the event industry? And then what made you start the non-profit? Got it. I'm Italian and getting into the event industry was every Sunday at my grandmother's kitchen, <laughs> helping her serve spaghetti and meatballs and brajol and the marinara sauce and the whole thing. I think a story is my grandmother used to tell that I used to butler pass hors d'oeuvres at like three years old. <laughs> I used to just walk around and be like, here, eat a meatball, <laughs> grandpa. Why are, you know? So um, that's how I kind of, it's always been in my blood. I, I'm a classically trained chef, actually. I went to the French Culinary Institute. Oh, no shit. So I, yeah, I come to the event industry and I'm an event producer by way of food, which is very important to me. And it's always been a through line in everything that I do, which is super interesting um, and a different perspective for an event producer. Um, we, we definitely are, uh, we started our, our event company um, I'd say we started it in, officially um, in 2018, I, my partner Karen Gamba and I, but um, I've been an event producer my whole entire life. So mm. yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. That's awesome. Mm. And, you, and you grew up in the Bronx, you said? I did. I grew up in Morris Park. Shout out to St. Francis Xavier High um, Grammar School. I did. Loretta Park. Um, I definitely grew up in the Bronx in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. So I'm a 90s kid. Everything about the Bronx I miss every day of my life. Growing up, going to the comic book store, playing arcade games at uh, Side Street Sports and all that, playing roller hockey. I played hockey my whole entire life. So I, um, yeah, nice. I, I definitely grew up in the Bronx. That's my Bronx experience. And great pizza, of course. <laughs> Better than New Jersey, John. Whoa. Just whoa, throwing whoa. that Come out on, there for you. We don't have to start a fight. <laughs> we just became friends, Frank. Come on. We'll take this thing slow. Um, I, th- okay, I think yeah. it's cool that like from one Italian to another, obviously food was sort of ingrained into our upbringing, right? Like it was Sunday dinners with the family. Um, I think uh, it was a very fortunate sort of tradition that, was instilled to at least me at a young age, I'm sure you as well, as you mentioned. Um, and I think it differs a lot from, you know, other places in the country. Um, but talk to me about how like those kind of, you know, institutions as a child, like, you know, Sunday dinners with the family holidays, like that kind of like instilled into you something that made you kind of go into the, the career that you have now. Sure. Yeah. I think, um, at the core of everything, I, I could stay right now in my life. Um, I'm longing to get that back. If I'm, if I'm being honest, I actually lost my mother 10 years ago. Um, she, she, thank you. She passed away from brainstem cancer. Um, and it happened very quickly and she was sort of the glue that held the huge family together, if you will, Mm -hmm. you know, 11, 11 cousins on one side, you know, we had, you know, the deal. So when my mom passed, I kind of lost that feeling that that sort of that sort of family table Mm. that we had every Sunday, you know, and she was always the host and always did that. Uh, But when I lost her, I think I I sort of made a career pivot to try to get that back, interestingly enough. So I'm chasing that every day. And yes, I I'm an event producer. We, We work with clients, but at the core of it. I'm always trying to bring people together and I'm always trying to, I'd say, you know, offer up a service that's making an impact at the same time. And that's kind of where the non-for-profit came from. Um, and the non-for-profit, believe it or not, came from an event. Oh. We, uh, my, my company, my partner and I, we did an event for women in the events industry in New York City. We did it at Webster Hall, which I'm sure you've been, Very of cool. course, mm-hmm. iconic, iconic. And we sold it out. 
out of literally just out of gumption and just wanting to share a message and have a charitable uh, benefit to that particular event. We, we were getting DM, like, get us a ticket. You know, <laughs> how do we get into this? And uh, it was serving women. And we put, you know, women on the panels. It was uh, panel discussions to share their insights mm-hmm. that normally wouldn't be up there. You know, that uh, weren't C-level uh, professionals. They were hardworking women that I respected my whole entire career that helped me personally and, and my partner and, and a, the whole community at large. And um, we did that. That was on January 28th, 2020. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> an amazing <trajectory>. yeah, right. <laughs> Lifetiming. Our, our career, our, our business was on such an amazing trajectory and then lost everything and i think the date was march i shouldn't say lost everything lost everything business changed. on yeah. march 12th found a lot too which i definitely want to get into with you found yeah. a lot but um that's you know kind it's of it. funny i have a very similar not i mean i did work in for an event management company for about three years um it was okay. focused on c-suite conferences you know mm-hmm. business conferences with sure. fortune 500 companies learned a lot traveled a lot it was really cool but I had a very mm-hmm. similar experience with the pandemic because I took a job on March 9th was my first day with a new employer. My birth, my birthday. That's oh, my birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah. Um, it coincided <laughs> yeah. with a very rough six month period of my life, which culminated with my termination in August um, of 2020. And I think, you know, things in life, timing wise, career wise, I used to be a person that was constantly chasing dollar figures and nicer things and, you know, really stuff that doesn't matter. Right. And I think when you go through an experience where like the a pandemic, something like that really tests you as a human being, um, I was thankful enough to learn a lot about myself and I was afforded an amazing um, severance package, which allowed me to travel across the country and with my car and my camera. And I really realized what I wanted to do with my life, um, which was be a yeah. photographer and also start this podcast. Mm. So I'm really curious how, obviously, in an event industry, which, you know, for Mm -hmm. the better part of the last two years, things are obviously getting better now. Um, How has this pandemic kind of impacted you, not just financially, but just from like a career perspective? Sure. I love this question. I I could definitely start by saying the things I did in my pajamas, (laughs) I have a lot to tell my grandkids with sometimes with no no pants on. Yeah. you know the deal. Um, I have a, I'll have a lot of stories to tell my grandkids, um, things that I've accomplished that I never thought I'd be able to do, honestly. Um, I, I think my trajectory with the pandemic is that, yeah, I, had, I literally had COVID that week Mar- oh, wow. of March, that night, on my birthday that year, 20, March 9th. I, I was, you know, out of it, completely delusional. My partner, Karen's like, Frank? lay in bed for a week however long you need i'm going to figure this out for us you know we lost hundreds of thousands of dollars in one day clients just you know obviously not able to cancel so she you know thank god for her she's my saving grace she is always my my inspiration and my motivation um you know she she thought long and hard and she's like we have to pivot we have to start getting out there and we've did things during the pandemic like live streaming events for non-for-profits, helping, getting in there and just offering services. You know, I'm a storyteller. I love to create content. It's what I love to do. My brain thinks in pop culture references. <laughs> I, I said, how can my skill set help non-for-profits? And we, we worked with some, we produced some fundraisers online. And to this day, they're still fundraising and making money off of content that we were able to produce for them. Sort of self-taught, but not really. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just, it was, it was innate inside of me that I found out all of these creative streams started to come out during the pandemic. Uh, uh, in another sort of silo of what I do, I actually I partner with a company and I develop unscripted reality TV show concepts oh, cool. to hopefully get sold to networks. It's an, it's another so, sort of side passion of mine. Hopefully one day it'll be a, a full-fledged career, you know, but at, right now it's something that I navigated uh, along with another partner and we were pitching shows to NBC in my living room, yeah. you know? Um, it was 
you know, we, we just developed some great ideas and we're like, we're going to figure this out. And we networked through a computer screen mm-hmm. and we met the most amazing people. And we had a film crew go out to Kansas during COVID to film a concept that we came up with. Oh, so sweet. I'm going to say that my COVID experience was, of course, you know, being in New York uh, at the beginning of the pandemic was was a challenge, you know, seeing the poverty, seeing the streets, seeing, you know, just all of not New York, the, the New York, the New York that we know and were born into was difficult and, and definitely was a challenge for me. But I'm proud of some of the things I've been able to accomplish during COVID. Something that I will say that I'm just thinking of now, and I, I don't think I've ever made this connection. I think my fear started, I, COVID's not over yet, of course, sure. but started at the end of this because it's like, what do I do now? Oh, totally. I have to, I have to pivot again. And that drive to do so, I think was harder for me than the beginning having to change my business model going into COVID. Sure. Well, because at the yeah. time, in the beginning of it, everything is extremely reactionary, right? You're hit with, right. I'm sick. I don't feel well. I'm stuck in bed. We're losing money. Things are falling apart. It's all reactionary. Right. You don't have time to really stop, sit around, and think about what the next step is. And you know, thankfully, exactly. over the course of a very fucking long two-year period, two period of time, you kind of get okay. a little bit of a runway in front of you now where you have time to sit and think things out versus it's not like every five seconds things are fucking blowing up and thank, exactly. you, know, you know two years later it's about time <laughs> um yeah yeah i've often found that a lot of people sort of went one of two ways throughout the last course of the last two years um it was either mm-hmm. an immense catalyst for something new and or just like people sort of changed a lot, right? They uh, really internalized things. They sort of became different versions of themselves. And I'm thankful, and it seems like for you as well, that it was a really huge, you know, cataclysmic event that really, for the benefit of me, changed me. Um, And I think you can take sort of loss and tragedy in your life and do one of two things for me you can learn from it and grow from it or you can kind of like turtle shell and go into yourself right um so i would love to kind of dig into like you know the the time period that you had after your mother passed away and like kind of where your life was at then and then like how you kind of dealt with that grief and then like sort of took that into the next phase of your life and and your career wow yeah that's that's a great question and and i'm happy to discuss this because i don't often get to do so you know, lots of therapy after that, but you never really get to like express that sort of trajectory and how it affected everything else. It's interestingly enough, it happened at age 29 and um, I moved uh, at 39 to Atlanta from New York for living in New York for 40 years. So I, I noticed this sort of 29, 39, what's going to happen at 49? Um, we'll see. We'll have to talk then. <laughs> but um, I definitely think that after my mother passed away, I threw myself into work. I mean, I threw, I had, I was just a newly, uh, out of culinary school chef and I went to culinary school cause I wanted to start a catering company at the time. I named it Tony Ann's catering. My mom's name was Tony Ann. Mm. It was, the logo was her signature, her handwriting, her, her oh, writing her that. name. And I had my, both my crazy sisters working there, my best friend, her mother, people I went to high school with, people from the old neighborhood. I used that experience to bring everyone I loved together to doing something that we all love to do. And that's what I did for almost seven years. Mm-hmm. I, I hustled. I, I had a very successful catering company in Westchester, New York. And um, just just sort of numbed that that loss because it, it goes back to what we were discussing before. It's rooted in food. It's bringing everyone together. And that's my coping mechanism. Mm. And that's what I do. And I think a lot of people do that, actually, sure. you know. Um, but, yeah, we, we, we did that for a while. And um, I think that that time could have been a lot darker, I think. But I. I really sensed my mother there. Obviously, I had her her DNA in my business, literally. But um, I sensed her so strongly there. And I knew that she said, 
I got to make my son busy because that's how he keeps moving. Mm. And she did that. She gave me that opportunity. I love that. That that was that period. I think we're in an interesting time in in human history where like a lot of life and and it might have been this way, you know, 20 years ago and 10 years ago when I was in my 20s, like who who knows? I'm 36. Um, Community building has been the single greatest thing that I've witnessed over like the last two years. Um, Mm -hmm. I've been lucky enough to have a lot of great conversations with a lot of, you know, calm, famous people, people who have got a lot of, you know, social media followings, etc. And what I'm constantly inspired by are people who are taking time out of their life to see other people be successful and build community around themselves. And to me, when I look at someone like you who's doing things like this nonprofit, um, who's starting Mm -hmm. companies with their family and their friends and their neighborhood, that's community building in itself. And I I mean, I love that. That's that's tremendous. Um, I would love to know how you go from catering to events and like kind of how you you know, obviously there was a transition at some point from going to running your yeah. own catering company to your own event company. And I'm sort of curious sure. how that process kind of unraveled. Yeah. It's called burnout and a bad back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fair <So>. enough. <laughs> it's called, there's not enough cortisone shots in the world to, to make you stand on your feet for all those hours, hunched over chopping uh, carrots and <laughs> celery and all that good stuff. But no, we, I made a strategic move. Honestly, I, I, I grew up in the Bronx and lived in Westchester for the better part of my life. And all I wanted to do was get to Manhattan. I, it was one of these stories, you know, I'm a born they're born and raised New Yorkers are like unicorns in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just wanted to be there. I wanted my life to be there. I wanted to grow a family there, live there. And it, for an interesting thing, and maybe you could relate to this, um, not living in Manhattan, it feels so far away sometimes when you're when you're around the city and you don't live there. It doesn't feel like it's right there for you to attain. It feels like it's for others. Mm. That was at least my experience. And I just wanted to be there, even though I was so close. I was just in, in Yon- Yonkers, New York. Yeah. Um, not that far. So I wanted to get down to the city and I had a, I came to a crossroads where I had a huge business opportunity that would have kept me in, in Westchester for, you know, the better part of another decade. So I said to myself, you can continue down this road and keep growing. And of course you'll do well, you'll, you'll always figure it out. Or do you go where you want to be? And I, I made a very bold decision to sell my business which, you know, um, was difficult at the time, very difficult to walk out of those doors, but I did it. And I, I got myself down to the city and I took a job again, you know, um, in a very, in a a corporate environment. And I think during that process, I learned that that didn't work for me either. Um, something about autonomy, um, is appealing to me and just this spirit that I feel like I have oftentimes gets repressed in a corporate setting sure. it could be very it could be challenging and i know you could relate to that too so i found my way just by the support of other people in the events industry actually enough grabbing me by the shoulders and going start your own business now mm. basically and i've had some great mentors and that's kind of how that's kind of how the event company started that's awesome um yeah. So having gone from the catering business into working yeah. in a corporate environment, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I would imagine since you're used to starting your own company. So there is inherent confidence in your ability to create a business and be successful. Mm-hmm. But in sort of a vertical that you hadn't really dabbled much into, you worked in the event industry for a short period of time. So I'm wondering what, you know, inside of you gave you the mm-hmm. confidence that you were like, oh, I could do this. I, you know, I, I've got no concerns. I know I'll make this work. I'm going to be very honest with you. I didn't have that confidence at all. At all. I think that I under, I personally, I undersell my own professional talents all the time. I think it's a common human trait. Sometimes I'll be in, in a setting and I go, wait a minute, how am I producing this? Is this some, my 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 lack of confidence comes in and maybe that you know that comes from being you know um you know a very shy kid or you know someone that didn't have confidence growing up 
Um, you didn't move away from the house. You stood there. You grew up in the neighborhood. And I've always been pushing that and pushing that, but always feeling unconfident in doing so. So I, I think I found my confidence in the support of others. I don't think I had it inside of me until the pandemic, honestly. Hmm. That's an honest truth. I think I found my confidence in shocking myself and surprising myself at what I was capable of because I had no other choice. And it was fight or flight. If I didn't get that business, we weren't eating. I didn't qualify for unemployment. I wasn't able to really take any advantage of any of the, you know, government support very minimally, but I, um, I had to do it and I figured it out. And that confidence is now coming through me in interesting, creative ways that I never thought I'd find in my life, honestly. Yeah. I think that's like one of the, uh, you know, I'm gonna say joys. One of the things that I've learned about myself and like that I've mm -hmm. really enjoyed learning about myself is that, I'm not doing anything that I thought I'd be doing when I was 25, right? Like, so at 25, right. I was like, I'm going to work in corporate America forever and I'm going to make a lot of money and I'm going to have a nice house and I have a nice wife and like all these things that you think are important. Yeah. And like 10 years later, I don't have any of those things. You know what I mean? I don't have a wife. I don't have a, a corporate job. I don't have tons of money. It's like all the things that you put into, you know, a, a box and you think that you need to check them off as you go along are really not important when you stop and look and take stock of like what you want out of your life. And I think that's been one of the great, great joys of my life is realizing that the things that I used to hold as important don't have to be that way anymore. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's really for sure. important to know. I, I've often yeah. talked about how a lot of my life has sort of been mapped out into these big events, right? Like you, you were always projecting mm -hmm. time out in your life five years out. You're always like, yeah. got to do well in high school to go to a good college to get a good job. And I very, mm -hmm. very rarely in my 20s ever stopped to like smell the roses or like figure out if the things that I was doing was making me happy. And somewhere yeah. in my 30s, that changed a lot. Like I started mm -hmm. to take stock in what was making me happy and what was filling me up. I'm curious, you said you're 40, you know, how do you now mm -hmm. frame your present life and your future life and start of, you know, put out what you want out of the next, you know, f next chapter of your life? Sure. Yeah. Turning 40 was interesting. I mean, it, it changes your perspective in, a, in an interesting way. Like you said, you're, you're not where you expect it to be, but no one is now. Sure. So the playing field is sort of level. You know, people are now coming back to the, the careers that they had. Um, I honestly, I think this is a great question. I still measure my, I measure my self-worth in my career for sure. Let's start with that. And I always am, I'm, I'm still doing it. I'm still chasing it. I'm still saying, well, if we sell this TV show, I'm going to do X. Or if, if we book this huge event, this is what the business looks like in two years. I'm still trying to learn this. And if you have any advice on how to, how to be better at, at you know, not being more in the moment, I have a partner, uh, my partner, Steven, he is the, person that lives in the moment more than anyone I've ever met in my life. So I'm trying to learn from him. And every day, I, I think I still am chasing that what's happening next? What are we doing next? I'm really looking forward to stopping that, honestly. And I'm not there yet. Yeah. So a couple things that I've learned, um, it's like yeah. a lot of times through these hard tri trials and tribulations that I've encountered in my life, I never yeah. thought about them. I'm like, oh, this sucks. Mm -hmm. You know, this girl cheated on me or I lost this job or whatever it might have been, right? I was like, this sucks. Yeah. I'm over it in five seconds. Having now gone through therapy, I realized that was just me regressing, uh, re you know, repressing these feelings and not like actually dealing with them. And one of the things yeah. that I learned is, you know, through reading books and therapy and all these things is like, it's very easy to pretend like things don't bother you. And it's very easy for you to think that things oh, that, yeah. that matter actually don't. So what I mean by that mm -hmm. is like a lot of times I was getting caught up in how many Instagram followers I have, how many likes things were getting, uh, what kind of car I was driving, what kind of watch I was wearing, like all these things that I yeah. thought 
you know, were a status symbol was really just me like keeping up with the Joneses. And sure. it took really the pandemic and me losing my job for me to realize like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I'm literally doing mm-hmm. all of these things in life for someone else and not for me. And yeah. When you're removed from, you, you know, you're it's like sort of an outer body experience. I'm removed from life, right? Like workforce is gone. Uh, job is gone. Everything that I have to worry about is gone. And then now I have the ability to sort of look inward and figure things out. And that's basically what transpired. I had an absolute terrible 2020. I, I laughed. 2020 was like the best year of my life financially and then like the worst year of my life, everything else. 2021 yeah. ha- was the best year of my life and the worst year of my life financially. And now 2022 is when I'm putting everything together where I'm going to have mm-hmm. both amazing financial success and life success and marrying it into one. And I think what people don't do is figure out what that looks like for them. Right. So like for me, Mm, financial success was making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. That's all that mattered. But it wasn't like, Oh, well, like how much money do I actually need? It was, I just need more Mm. and personal success, Mm. personal success wasn't, well, you know, all my friends are getting married. I guess I should be getting married and I should be doing this. And then it wasn't like, well, do I want that? Right. So it's like a lot of my life was spent looking at what I was supposed to have versus knowing what I needed. And that's what, yeah, that's what changed a lot for me for sure. That's so interesting. I had a, I had a call with a friend right at the beginning of the pandemic. And the first thing he said to me was, look at your metrics differently right now. Don't look in your bank account. Don't look in your social media presence. Just start to pivot what your metrics to yourself look like. That was the best advice I got. It changed everything. It took that sort of weight that I've been carrying around. And I said, okay, I can look at the situation a little bit differently through that, through a different lens for sure. And that's, that's something that I definitely carried through yeah that's and uh you know for sure i asked i asked the question a lot on my podcast like what is your greatest success to date and i've Mm -hmm. stopped asking that question because i'm not interested in what you've done that's awesome now it's more so Mm -hmm. how do you measure success in your life now right like what what do Mm -hmm. you do on a daily weekly monthly yearly basis and how do you measure that as being successful in what you're doing Mm. wow um I would honest, if I'm answering that very honestly, I think I measure success in looking into my niece's, my, my two-year-old niece's eyes and knowing that her future is taken care of. That is going to be my metric from now on. You know, I may not get to have children of my own, but to look at a future generation and know that I'm doing everything that I can for her is going to be my, my metric from now on. I don't, I still am not sure what success is. Mm. I'm still confused as to, you know, I could have all the money in the world. I've been there. I've made well into the six figures. I've made nothing. I, I'm going to, we're going to remove financial from success because it doesn't mean anything. We've all just learned that personal fulfillment, contentment with yourself is a, is a great metric for success. I still don't think I'm there yet. I still don't think I'm fulfilled creatively. I I'm more creative than I've ever been, but I'm still working at it. So I honestly think the only time I ever feel successful is when I look at Marina and I say my niece and I say, and I, and I know that she's going to be, she's going to have an uncle. She's going to have a mom and dad and another, or my other sister, her aunt that are going to take care of her. I'm, I'm finding my success in, in the, the next generation. That's, that's my honest answer to that question. And that's yeah. a great question. And because at the end yeah. of the day, the thing that you realize, you know, two years into a pandemic and when you start yeah. getting to a certain age where, you know, you hit a certain age and life is more about what gets taken from you versus like what you get out of it. And it's how mm. you sort of frame those contexts when you start losing things. And the number sure. one thing that you gain through tragedy and grief and loss is perspective and the things that matter in life. Always. 
oh, yeah. is not things it's mm-hmm. people and and the the relationships that you have with your friends and your family and that to That's me has true. been a, a, an invaluable lesson that i learned over the course of the pandemic because who did i spend time with over the last two years it wasn't my friends wasn't girlfriends it wasn't dating it was my family because who yeah. else are you going to risk seeing you know and potentially killing your parents or you know i mean it's like it's it's one of the most invaluable things that i learned and uh yeah mm-hmm. i think the fact that you're able to look at what is important to you and and do things with a a you know, the right lens is obviously why you'll yep. be successful moving forward. There's no question. Thank you. Oh, that's awesome to hear. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still hustling. Yeah. You know, I'm still trying to find it. I think, I think I'll find it. I really do. I'm not there yet. I think, I think I, I will. you know, like you, you said before, no, no one's really yeah. ever there, right? Like even if you're at the pinnacle yeah. of your career, no one's got it 100% buttoned up. Maybe like Barack Obama. I don't know. He was the president. He's got a great family. You know, he's he's probably doing yeah. pretty well. <laughs> sure. Yeah, um, that's right. I uh, I think like the the one of the coolest things that's transpired over me for the last two years since I well really years since I started doing this podcast is being able to mm-hmm. have these kind of conversations with people and talking cool. about things that fill them, fill you up like things that like make you happy things that give you confidence uh, but something mm-hmm. that I've struggled with a lot and as a photographer and a person who makes like creative outlets is imposter mm-hmm. syndrome and I'm curious oh, how you as yeah. a creative and as a person who's you know started multiple companies and dealt with sort of being their own boss how you deal with imposter syndrome. I love that you asked me this. I, I was listening to some of your other podcasts uh, before, you know, before coming on to have the opportunity to speak with you. And something I wrote down was the fear of a creative person. It's, it's the fears of a creative. And this is, I'm, I'm, it's, it's, it's definitely kismet that you asked this question. It's something I live with every day. So, Imposter syndrome, people are constantly, I've lived my life with people taking my ideas and monetizing them. I speak to my partner about this all the time and people taking intellectual property and using you as far as they can. And then sometimes ringing, ringing you out dry and just running with it. You know, we have client, we have clients, we have you know, that that's a different story. But on a personal level, and on a creative level, it's something that you have to insulate yourself from. And I've learned that the hard way. Mm -hmm. I really have, especially developing um, television concepts and and that sort of world, learning about that world has been eye opening. How do you protect your idea? And I've always been of the school that if you call me up, and you're like, I need some career advice. I'm going to give you everyone I know, phone number, email, go. I want to see you do well. Again, back to measuring success in other people. I guess that's my through line. I want to see you succeed because then I feel successful watching you grow. But that is a double-edged sword because now those contacts that I've sent to many people are now being used to have hundreds of thousand dollar business deals and uh, they don't answer, they don't take my call anymore. Well, that's fun. So that's an example of it. That's an example of it. And by the way, I didn't know I could drop an F bomb on here. I'm from oh, the Bronx. You're nuts. lucky I haven't dropped them all over the place. Yeah. No, it's, I have a E rating on all of my podcasts because as a Jersey Italian, a fuck is pretty much yes. my, my oh, uh, go-to vernacular. <laughs> it's poetry. A perfectly placed fuck is Perfect. That's why when you're, the name of your podcast, the wrong, the wrong advice. I'm like the wrong advice. I always give people is use the F word whenever you can, which I think is the right advice. It is the right great. advice. You know, it's I, funny when we were younger, sure. people would always say like, if you curse, you're looked at as like non-intelligent and it's like a uncouth right. thing. And it's actually it's completely low, yeah. the opposite because people who curse oh, yeah. and people who don't like make their bed every morning and all these things and stay up late mm-hmm. are all signs of like highly intelligent, highly creative people. So to like Very my true. Junior high school uh, <laughs> guidance counselor, or whatever. Fuck you. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally kidding. Forget about yeah. it. No, it's that's so. No, that's yeah. But funny. that's got to be Very tough when you have funny. like something that you come up with, or uh, you know, the the what's the old saying? Like there is mm-hmm. no adage amongst the you know no something with thieves mm-hmm. or whatever. Like you know yep. they should be taking care of you if you put people together and are making you know significant 
investments and deals and stuff. And like, sure. that's, that's tough to deal with for sure. I'm super curious yeah. how you take those situations and move on from them. Cause that would like to me wow. leave a very lasting lingering effect. It goes directly opposite Absolutely. to community building. It's like fuck people till you get yeah. everything that you need. Yeah, it's, it's tricky. I, you know, I've experienced it. I internalize it often. Um, thank goodness. Thank goodness. Um, I have a partner um, and, and her and I can vent back and forth in these cases. So there's a, there's a sounding board for it. I try not to take it personal anymore. Um, I've just had a very recent experience with this happening um, with some IP that was taken and is now being worked on in a different way. And, you know, the person's not returning my phone calls, but I'm, t I'm looking at it differently now. If you can get that idea over the finish line, then you have my support mm -hmm. because it's one thing to have an idea and then it's one thing to believe in an idea so much that you're going to actually get it done. I disassociate the two now mm. because of all of this. You could have the idea, but if you could also get that idea done, kudos to you, my hat off to you. Mm. So that's kind of how I do it. You have to compartmentalize because it can beat you down. It can feel, especially when you're a giving person, you want to bring people together. Your whole mission in life is to see other people succeed. I'm learning a lot about myself on this podcast, John. You're killing it. Thank you so much. <laughs> but, no but problem. I had no idea about all this good stuff coming out. But um, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you my Venmo at the end. Dude. The therapy is about a hundred bucks an I gotcha, hour. So yes. that's, Just yeah. send, me, send me a receipt. Yeah, no, it's We're it's. I'm 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 very intrigued by this because, yeah. um, a good buddy of mine, uh, a photographer by the name of Tyler James, has uh, you know, someone that I've met over the last couple of years via Instagram. He's been on the podcast twice, and we talk about a lot of okay. the same things. And for me, Tyler is a kid who you know he's not a kid. He's you know he's around my age, but he, he's a person sure. who no matter where he goes in life, whether he's, you know, where he grew up in Minnesota, he's now in Houston, he builds communities and he wants to see mm -hmm. people succeed and he wants the people around them to eat, right? Like that's his thing. Like I want to make sure the people around me are taken care of and doing well. And to me, kind of guy. that's, that's what you're like. And I think that's what I'm yeah. like. And finding people who are like part of your quote unquote tribe as you get older is probably the most important thing in life, right? It's about, it's, it's not about, like when, when I was in my twenties, I would be jealous if I heard someone closed a big deal. I would be jealous if someone yeah. was doing X, Y, Z that was in an, in excess of whatever I was doing. And I don't know sure. what has been about the last couple of years of my life, but I'm not like that at all anymore. I want to put people together. I want to do things like you're saying, because that's what life is. It's about helping people. Yeah. It's about being a good person. But I, I for sure yeah. wasn't always that way. <laughs> no shot. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. What a, it's a great evolution and it's a great story. I wish more people felt the way you and I do. Um, the we're, world would be a much different place. We're getting there. I, I think, think we're unicorns. I think yeah. I think it's getting there. You know, like at the end of the day, like you know, ninety-five percent of people lives lives are lived on uh, you know a communication device, right? So like, while we have instant access to every single person in our life, it's also like a bit damaging in that regard because it can cause stress in a way that you know human beings weren't taught to be stressed about. You know through hunter and gather yeah. um, you've obviously you've <laughs> yeah. you've worn a lot of hats in your professional life and i'm curious yeah. if from a profession perspective if you have like a main goal a main dream something that is like the pinnacle of where you can stop and say hey i did the thing that i've been working my entire life to do and like holy shit i can't believe mm -hmm. i just accomplished that yeah that would for me that would be i mean I've produced events on the Statue of Liberty, the Intrepid, just these beautiful, in the Capitol, these beautiful, historic American things that mean something to me. I've done that in that side of my business. Um, I, our non-for-profit is a place that I definitely want to see grow. I love New York so much. I'm in Atlanta right now. Don't ask me how I got here. It's a whole nother <laughs> podcast episode, which we'll have to do. But um my, my heart's in New York. So I think for me, I would want to, I want to bring, I want to bring business and I want to see New York get back to the way it was when I, when I was little running around the Bronx and then, and I want to feel safe 
I want everyone to feel safe there. I want everyone to, I want it to thrive, that pulse that I sought out my whole life. I want to help bring that back. So a lot of our initiatives through our non-for-profit are leaning into that, working with New York City nightlife. Um, we have a wonderful nightlife mayor. Her name is Ariel Pallets, and we're working with her office on some initiatives, which is great. We want to help bring that light back. So that's something that is a goal of mine for sure. Um, also, I want to I want to get one of my TV shows on the air. Mm-hmm. We've come so close. We've put years of work into development and being creative and drawing inspiration from life. I want to see that represented. I want to I want to turn on the TV and see uh, created by uh, an executive producer, Frank Carlisi, and my partner Tim Grady, of course. But uh, that is my goal. I, you know, I'm not going to stop till we get it. That's awesome. Um, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, so those I, are my two goals. I would imagine a lot of what you do this year, aside from <clears throat> like, you know, make money and live and eat, will be centered around yeah. doing that. Um, I will. There's obviously a lot of pressure in life when you're looking at the thing that you want to do and you haven't achieved it yet. So I'm curious how mm-hmm. you deal with, you know, in an industry like television production, I would imagine yeah. there is a tremendous and a plethora amount of rejection, right? So how do Ooh. you take those uh, rejections and those negative instances of being told no and, mm-hmm. you know, learn from them and grow? Um, yeah, I honestly... I am a phenomenal note taker. I don't take it personally. And I'm very cognizant to say we're, we failed here, but this is what we learned. We applied it to the next project and got it stronger and better. And we have been on that trajectory after rejection, after rejection, after our show didn't get picked up by Lifetime when we filmed it during COVID and we got that call from the production company and they said, you know, it's a pass, unfortunately, for us. What did I do? I sat there and I analyzed everything we did and I said, we're going to take a parts of A and B and put it in the next project. So that's kind of how I handle the rejection. Um, you know, we just got news and said, you know, that wasn't great the other day. And, and I said to, to my partner, I said, but we learned how to do this skill set in that process. And I can't imagine what three shows from now are, are going to look like because we're learning. And I, I think people generally are, they don't listen some to, to, they don't listen. Everyone's in their own head waiting for their voice to come out. Mm. Maybe that's my upbringing. Maybe it's being part of the LGBTQIA community where I was repre- I repressed my voice for many of my adolescent years, but I am a phenomenal listener. I'm more interested in what you're saying than anything that's ever going to come out of my mouth. I'll be on a business call and I don't speak. I, I will sit there and listen. I, w- I want, and then I'll ask a very appropriate question, but my voice doesn't need to fill the room it, that's just not who i am yeah so those are some of my sort of you know my sort of methods and 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 qualities of listening using what you what you may have failed or not done right and applying it to whatever you're doing at the time that's there's, kind of how i deal with it there's that expression that goes god gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason you should listen twice as much as you speak and yeah there is something to be said for having the self cognitive ability to be a better listener. Um, it's Mm -hmm. something that I've worked a lot on the last few years because extremely on point of what you said, it's very easy when you're having a conversation with someone, whether you're in a podcast, whether you're at a bar, whatever you're doing to want to add your tidbit to the thing that the person's saying, it takes a lot of restraint to wait. Right. That there. Oh, I'm going to forget what I was going to say. So I have to say it right away. And it's like, that's wrong. And the amount of life lessons that I've learned by shutting the fuck up just in the last five years of my life has been tremendous. And I think that's such a crucial way, a crucial uh, opportunity for people to learn um, through failure. Because if you're not once you get the no, if you're tuned out Mm -hmm. to the why 
you're never going to learn. You're never going to grow. No, you're going to be stuck on. Yep, you're going to be stuck in the position that you're in, and uh, I think that's yeah. it's an incredible perspective to have, and something that for sure not not many people have. Um, yeah. I don't want to get too into the weeds on this, but I am super curious what it was like being a member of the LGBTQIA community in, you know, the Bronx in the 90s and Mm -hmm. growing up in an Italian family. Uh, I can't imagine that was all sunshine daisies and roses. So I'm super curious how that impacted kind of like your adulthood. Yeah, I definitely think it was difficult. You know, um, it wasn't anything that was accepted in the neighborhoods I grew up with at the time Mm -hmm. of in culture. It wasn't, there was no representation in media, um, you know, no one to look up at the TV. Uh, They were characters, characterizations, uh, gay men on television. Totally. You know, Will and Grace. Will and Grace, of course, the whole thing. So, and I, as uh, you know, as a child, I, I find I drew all of my inspiration from pop culture, all of it. Comic books, number one. I, I have an, a sleeve of X-Men tattoos oh, that go around. That's my, nice. that's, that was my escape growing up be, uh, because I always felt they were, uh, again, another podcast, but marginal, looking at a marginalized community of, of, quote unquote of people. Mutants, right? I, yeah. Correct. Yes, exactly. So I identified there, but I always looked to pop culture for that. And there was nothing to see. So, you know, the, the challenge of pretending to be something that I wasn't up until my mid 20s if you will um you know to to repress that because a uh, italian american we forgot catholic let's forget let's not forget that we can if you want Um, (laughs) okay good (laughs) good yeah (laughs) but um yeah it was um it was very difficult it was just i never i think that's where my lack of confidence comes from totally understandable yeah it's, it's my, I remember, I'll tell you a story. I remember I was walking to probably the comic book store and my friend's mother's beeping the horn at me and I, and it's on a main street in the Bronx and she's beeping the horn and she screams out her window. Like everyone calls me Frankie in the neighborhood, of course. And she's like, Frankie, pick your head up. And I'm like, what, Mary Ellen, what? She goes, you're walking with your head down. And you're looking at your feet in the floor. And that, I think, is what I did almost my whole life. I, I, I went inside my body and I looked down and kept my head down. And I think that that was, that was I mean, when I talk about that now, I get goosebumps. That this, that this woman identified in me that I was not open enough, not confident enough. And I was repressing myself so much that this young kid probably going to buy a Spider-Man comic book, <laughs> she saw that. So that's me. That's who I am. And it it carried into my whole entire life. And it wasn't until I felt comfortable telling, you know, telling people that I was gay, um, that I I found I, that I found career success and personal success, mm. but it took a long time, my friend, a long time. I mean, I, I think yeah. that's number one. That's beautiful. Number two, I yeah. think, uh, the ability to like self identify, like triggering moments like that in your, in your past is, will lead yeah. to tremendous long-term growth without question. Um, I can't obviously yeah. relate to, to the story like that. Right. Like my, my biggest yeah. issue with the entire, you know, stigmatization of lgbtqia is like who the fuck Mm -hmm. cares right like i'm i guess extremely pragmatic in that i don't really Mm -hmm. give a shit who someone loves like love who you want marry who you want i don't understand why these are conversations in 2022 that we're having like that to me is crazy it's uh it's just not something i can relate to i've got gay friends i've got straight Mm -hmm. friends i don't really care who you love love who you love be loved Mm -hmm. i want people to be happy And uh, I, I can't relate to that, but to me, it sounds like you were able to take something that was like obviously challenging, being you know a, a gay man in the '90s and growing up in an mm-hmm. Italian Catholic community, and been able to turn yeah. it into a positive because you're obviously doing things right, right? Like we wouldn't be here having this conversation today if you weren't like killing life. So kudos thank to you. you. That's, no, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, 
it means a lot to hear that from you. Um, yeah, I, it's just something that I, I fought with and I, and I really tried to, like you said, spin it into something positive. Sometimes it, it would make you throw yourself into work too much or miss a family event because you didn't want to be sitting at the table going, where, how come you didn't bring a girlfriend? Yeah. You know, that mm -hmm. you, you, you shy away from certain things you love and being around family as Italian Americans, like all you want to do is be, but sometimes I wouldn't want to go. And I, it goes against my nature yeah. because of that. So all that learning, and that's why our non-for-profit um, we work with transgender women of color, primarily, almost primarily, um, in a lot of our educational programs. And the reason for that is that is a population that needs the most support. Totally. So that's something that all of those feelings that I repressed and I, and I felt growing up, I'm trying to channel into that mm. because there is so much stigma. There's so much hate and anger towards the transgender community that now I, that's my way of Back to the question about, I'm telling you, you're going to have to send me an invoice at the end of this, of course. We'll, we'll, but yeah. back to how I measure success is, it's using what hurt me growing up through my life and channeling that into a positive for someone else. See, that's amazing. That's and it. That's really great. That's it. The biggest, the, the biggest thing that I struggle with is that, to me, <clears throat> I don't understand where people have the time in their own lives to care this strongly about what another human being is doing with their body with right. their life with who they love yeah like to me and this is the, you know goes back to the religion statement like i've you know i've got multiple religious tattoos i grew up in a catholic family um mm -hmm. I, I don't i don't go to church anymore i don't I, like i'm a firm believer in there being an afterlife and and there being a god sure. whether that god is you know a extraterrestrial being or Jesus Christ. I don't yeah. fucking know. I'm not going to pretend that I know, but like to me, like the, that's the problem I have with religion. It's becoming non-inclusive, right? You can't get married in right. a church. If you're a gay person, they are, have very, uh, I think antiquated views on abortion, things that don't matter anymore, right? Like you need to be able to live your life as you see fit. And like, to me, I just don't genuinely understand where people have the time in their day to worry about what other people are doing. Like, dude, go yeah. to fucking work. Be happy. Who the fuck cares what people are doing that don't affect you? Yeah. It's just where, yeah. where do you, I don't know where they get the time. I'm busy as shit. I don't have time to worry about other people. And I barely have enough time to worry about myself. It's insane. You're right. It's bonkers. Well, it, it goes, it goes back to the conversation about people want to interject their voice and they're not listening. Totally. It's the truth. It's yeah. the same mantra. It's, it's the same through line. It's, so, it's a, it's a tragic yeah. reality of the times that we live in because when you have access to be able to say anything at any time to anyone, why you, mm -hmm. you would spend that time pushing out hate versus like just being right. fucking a normal person is, is beyond, right. it's beyond me. Um, Frank, yeah. I like to spend the last bit of every podcast doing sort of like a rapid Q and a, um, some of these questions yeah. are easy. Some of them are a little in depth, just kind of whatever comes to mind, but, um, start off with what, what's your favorite book? My favorite book is the Lord of the Rings. Sorry. Oh, no. Nerd. Nothing yeah. to be sorry about. <laughs> yeah. the That's a good the one. Trilogy. <laughs> I can't, I can't give you one in any particular order. All three of them in one place. I've read that. Oh, 12 times. What's your favorite movie? Cover to cover. Oof, this is, you can this give is a couple. gonna be tough. Moonstruck, The Godfather Part Two. Always part two. Every Italian um, knows it's yeah, always part, part two. two. <laughs> <laughs> Moonstruck literally was my childhood growing up. That Sicilian household. Um and I mean I love again The Lord of the Rings, anything like that. So those will be my top ones for for now. What's your favorite yeah. food? my mother's chicken cutlets yeah i still can't get them exactly the same way she did i think that's why i went to culinary school and i <laughs> just can't get them that perfect as a, as but a yeah, like actual certified chef i think you, you got to be able to figure this out right <laughs> or it's like that little bit of love <laughs> that was baked into it that you just can't replicate it was just my mom's love i yeah. can't get it it's i i could put cheese in the in the bat, batter it doesn't matter it's just not my mom nah. That's, that's nostalgia, right? Um, what's yep. your biggest fear? My biggest fear would be to leave this earth and not have changed as many rules, people's lives that I can. 
that, that would be my biggest fear to just be forgotten mm. and not remembered for something that I did. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, do I don't you, fear death. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was say, do you, uh, do yeah. you believe in an afterlife? Definitely. Absolutely. Especially ever since my mother passed away. I speak to her every day. I ask her advice. I know when she's meddling in my life because <laughs> she always did. And I yell at her sometimes. I have a conversation. So there is my mother's there somewhere. And I know it. I could tell you that with a hundred percent certainty. I can't tell you anything else with certainty. I know that there's an afterlife. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I would say I've yep. asked that question. You know, this is episode sixty-four, sixty-five. I'm not sure what number I'm on now. Um, yeah, we're about eighty twenty for people who believe in an afterlife, and okay. I, I find with that being the case mm-hmm. is slightly reassuring for the longevity of the humanity of man because if enough people think there's something beyond like maybe people will just stop being less dicks like that's that's my hope at least (laughs) um are you happy i am i'm very happy now good wasn't always yeah but but i'm i could be happier and i'm working every day to being happy i think that's that's important um where where do you see yourself in five years Five years, hopefully I'm splitting my time between Atlanta and New York. I have hopefully, hopefully have a a child by then, Hmm. a little daughter, I hope, in my, in my, in my vision board. I hope that our non-for-profit is doing national galas and raising money for people and making a real impact. I hope we have a TV show on the air that's not just some fluff show, it's actually the subject matter means something. I hope to be surrounded by family and friends and yeah. And my little niece is happy and healthy. That's all I care about. Good. That's good. Um, yeah. What inspires you? Other people inspire me. Um, creative people inspire me. Uh, no matter what they're creating, just someone that can take an idea grab it and put it and make it something that is to me the ultimate bit of inspiration Mm. that that process from it being in the air grabbing the spirit and turning it into something beautiful i don't think there's anything more inspirational than that honestly i love that yeah what's uh what's the best piece of advice someone's ever given you the best piece of advice is don't Hmm. There's a few, but I'm going to honestly say my partner um, is, and it's going to be a generic bit of advice. It's just live in the moment and it is what it is. Do I believe him half the time? No, (laughs) I don't. Is is it an argument? I'm like, how the fuck can you? I'm clear. No, Um, but it, it, it's going to happen no matter whether you try to control it or not. So let it happen as it should yeah really i'm a big believer on that that with the when you go through something like the you know every human being in a lot on on earth did over the last two years i think the fact that there is no guarantee Mm -hmm. for tomorrow it makes you start Mm -hmm. to appreciate like really small mundane things that you would over otherwise overlook right like i get a text message every night from my mom before i go to bed she says good night i love you Mm -hmm. and it's like one of those things that like i'm gonna eventually not have anymore right so like when you put that into the context of like what is important on a daily basis it's the little mm. things. I, uh, I'm a, I'm a big you're, believer in that. You're still going to have it. Don't worry about it. You'll always have that. <laughs> yeah. I know. I could tell you that. I could tell you that from experience. I'm sure. No I matter will. where she I, is, you're going to get that. I, I, gen- I genuinely do believe that. Um, for sure. Yeah. Um, last question. Uh, give me a recommendation for something that you've recently consumed. It could be a movie, a TV show, a podcast, a book, just something that you've had, you know, consumed lately that you enjoyed and want everybody to, uh, to check out. Oh, that's a good one too. I mean, I could go. Th- I'll go through TV quickly. Um, Ozark, so good. New season, so good. <laughs> Yellow Jack, Yellow Jackets on Showtime. Oh, okay. Have you heard I've, of that? I've heard good oh, things. I should watch it. Yeah. If you're in, if you're a '90s kid, it's it's nostalgia, nostalgia. It's it's incredible. So those are TV. Any of 
uh, let's do comic books. Any of the new X-Men comic books right now are phenomenal. The artwork, everything, the storyline, it's, it's so inclusive and brilliant. Read comic books. I mean, everyone should. There's, there's so much art in there. It's, it's such a beautiful expression of culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going to be my general recommendation. <laughs> everyone should look at life through eyes of a child sometimes. In everything you do, that's my that's a recommendation. I have a tattoo of my mother um, that I got uh, when she was twelve years old, maybe I don't even know how old she was. It's on it's on my body, and I look at it every day, and I say, I want to look at life through her eyes when she was that age. No sickness. There's no cancer. There's just these beautiful brown eyes looking at the world, and that's. That's the advice I want to give everyone. Look at look at that look at life that way. And that's my recommendation. Sorry, that. that was a lot. No, I mean I think <laughs> yeah. that was really beautiful. I think that's like important. <laughs> I think it's so easy in life to go through shit and not realize how fundamentally short and finite the amount of time that we have. And if people spent a lot more time worrying about being happy and a lot less time worrying about other people, I think the world could be a much better place. Um Frank, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Uh, I have a very cheesy line. I often say, uh, if you've been on my podcast, you're part of my family. Welcome to the family. My paisan Frank in in Atlanta. And uh, yeah, super, super appreciative uh, for the hour that you spent with me today. And uh, just thank you so much for coming on. John, I can't thank you enough. I mean, this was one of the best experiences ever. And I will look forward to the invoice in in the mail. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thanks so much. Take care.